Father, as we go forward now, I ask that you would hide me behind your cross, Father God, that your word would proceed from me, God, that you would strike the hearts of the people, Father God. Have your way in this place. Come on, somebody lift your hands right where you're at. Just tell them, have your way. In Jesus' name, we pray. High five your neighbor and tell him 29 years. Come on, somebody give me one more shout for Jesus in this place. Amen. I'm a little disappointed today. We had a, we had a, a introduction and a video for you guys but, uh, that our creative team has been working on for over a month, but we had some technical difficulties. So we'll bring that to you next week. It's a, it's a montage of my father's sermons and myself, and it's just an awesome thing that some people did here at the church. Uh, AJ, our producer, has been working on it for a long time, but we're going to bring it to you. Tell your neighbor next week. So don't be late. Amen? I want to encourage you guys. This is a four-week series, and I want to encourage you guys that you would try to make it at least, some, tell your neighbor, three out of the four. Tell them three out of four. I know some of you guys are on that bi-weekly Jesus plan, but I believe in at least, you know, consecutive weeks here and there for Jesus. Amen? And it's important that we get here so we can learn to have a heart for the house. And for our visitors today, I want to tell you the next few weeks are going to be a little bit different. We're talking about some historical things of the church and some things that God has shown me uh, for the church itself. Amen. I'm not necessarily preaching for an individual's life, but I want to preach for the next four weeks on the the prophetic destiny of our church. Amen. What God's going to do here. And if you want to be a part of that, we welcome you. We thank you in Jesus' name for being here. Amen. A heart for the house. It's kind of exactly how it sounds, a heart for the house, to have a heart for what God's doing in this place, to have a heart for what the Lord has done. And we've been, we've been, as a church, we're one of the oldest churches around. We're 29 years old, 29 years old as a church. It's our birthday coming up this month, and I wanted to prepare the church for what God's going to be doing because I believe we're in a unique season as a church. And as I prepared, I said to myself, where am I going to start in a 29-year history? And so what I like to do today is to try and lay a foundation Try and lay a foundation of the past 29 years. I got about 29 minutes to give you 29 years of what God has done for our church and to tell you why some people in this place are so passionate for Jesus and why he's done so much in their lives. At this point, I want Pastor Carmen to stand up for me, please. Pastor Carmen. This is Pastor Carmen. Stay standing. Stay standing. Stay standing. Get back. Get back up. This is Pastor Carmen. She is an awesome person, and today she really inspired me for the sermon. Uh, I'm coming from the Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10. And Pastor Carmen is the only member of this church who's been here the entire 29 years. Hasn't missed a beat. If she missed a Sunday, it's because she was on the beach in Puerto Rico. That was it. And uh, there's something about faithfulness in the church that God needs. Amen. Uh, she is a pillar that we've built this church around, and, and I want to do me a favor. I don't believe in giving praise to men, but would you just give her some honor in this place? 29 years. 29 years. Come on, you may be seated, Pastor Carmen. Every Sunday I see you guys sitting down. I said, that must be nice to sit down for church. And so when I went on vacation, I said, y'all better have a table and a chair for me when I get back. And so here I am. Turn with me in your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 4. And if you don't have a Bible, use your smartphone or your iPod or your iPad, whatever you got. And I want you to look at verse 10. I'm going to look at the first segment of verse 10, chapter 4. And it says here, For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven. I'll read it one more time for you in case you hadn't got there. Zechariah 4.10, part A. For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven. Every time I hear this verse, it, it strikes a chord in me and reminds me of Pastor Carmen. Because as a child, she recited this verse to me three million times. Uh, as, as I... You know, whether it was, you know, I, I ate a lot as a kid, as you can tell. And I would go over and it'd be a little bit of food. And I'm still hungry. Never despise a day of small beginnings. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's good to have those parents in your life and those aunts and uncles and elders who can strike you with something that you could stick for life. She would pick up a penny on the street. And I'm like, Ugh. never despise a day of small beginnings. Amen. Henceforth, my wife, me being short, my, my wife, and I'm short, and so 
29 years ago, this church was started with small beginnings. 29 years ago, guided by the Spirit, my father planted this church in Bridgeport. And to, to give it a really quick twist, I mean, the, the, the reason for the starting of the church, and, and let me tell you something, this is so important that you know how your church started. It's so important. People hop into churches all across Bridgeport who were started from rebellion, who were started because of lack of submission to the real pastor, who were started for all types of foolishness, but the spiritual destiny is when you start wrong, you can't finish right. If you plant a lemon tree, you're not going to get apples. And if you plant a church in disobedience, you're going to reproduce disobedient saints. You're going to reproduce rebellious Christians. And so guided by the Spirit, my father had begun, he was a Catholic, full-on Catholic for his whole life, and, and he had been hearing these testimonies and different sermons, and the Lord began to work in his heart, and he was part of what was called the charismatic movement in the Catholic Church. Anybody know what I'm talking about, the charismatic movement in the Catholic Church? And my father was a big part of that in the local church, and so was my mother and, and Pastor Carmen and some of the other brothers and sisters who started this church. And he one day got a revelation of the Holy Spirit, and this is from the horse's mouth, and I caught the Holy Spirit, not caught him in the sense of being baptized, but he caught the vision of the Holy Spirit. He understood the Holy Spirit, and he talked to the priest about something concerning the Holy Spirit. And after that, the priest pretty much let him know, you're not welcome here anymore. And so dad was like, well, that's fine. I'd rather go over there at my house with the Holy Spirit. Amen. And so a couple of the people left along with my father, and, and they were asked to leave because they had this revelation of the Holy Spirit, and the Catholic Church wasn't big into the Holy Spirit. No offense to them. God bless them. Amen. So they heard a couple of testimonies. They visited a church in, in New Jersey, a, a church with a, a lady named Bernanda Fernandez. And, and she had a testimony of God had showed her hell. And, and my father was compelled by that testimony. And when they got back, they looked for a similar church as the one they had visited. But finding none, they prayed. And for months they prayed. And, and it pretty, pretty much they, they kind of gathered around my father. And they said, you know, we want you to be our leader. And they they felt led by the Lord to start a church, amen? And they started Ejército Victorioso de Dios. Rather, I lied, Ejército de Dios. Most of you don't know, our church was an all-Spanish church, and so they put me behind the piano. And that's when everything changed. I mean, I can sing all the coritos you know. I know them all. I mean, we grew up with all that kind of stuff. And, and, and for years, they met in the house. About seven to eight people meeting, meeting in the house, having church receiving from the Lord. Amen. They did not despise the day of small beginnings. They had no music gear. They had no praise and worship team. They had no sound equipment. They had no instruments. They had no experience planting churches. They had nothing but a desire to serve God. They had a desire to see God move in the, their lives and the lives of others. And they were not afraid of starting small. I think a big problem that we have is not as a church but as individuals also is that we get so used to growing in God and growing in our finances and growing at your job that you despise the small things that come your way. You act as if life is built on big wins rather than a million little wins. And so we come before God, and we don't like the fact the way God's doing things in our lives. And now, because God gave you a car, this time you want a trailer. God, I want an RV. And God gives you a 50-cent raise at your job, and this ain't going to do nothing. I'm worth more than 50 cents an hour more. And we despise the day of small beginnings. But we were started as a church with people who understood small beginnings. That's so important for you to understand. They understood small beginnings beginnings. Don't be distracted by the lights, the sound systems, and the worship team. We know about small beginnings. If we lost all this in the day, we'd still be here worshiping God because it's about small beginnings. A few years into being a house church, my father found a property on 1312 State Street, and the property needed so much work, it's probably not even funny. Very few people, they got this property, and they began to renovate. They renovated. They put their heart and soul into this building. I, was gonna, I have some sound clips of the old praise and worship team, and I was going to play it for you guys, but I didn't want nobody to cry. And so I didn't play it because they had a piano and just about just a couple of things, and they had nothing great, nothing grand. But they had a heart to serve the house. much we have. 
We get distracted, and maybe if there's a, a singer missing or a guitar missing or a light missing, we get distracted by that. All beginnings is what makes the men. Are you losing my mic in and out, Mike? Are we good? Things make the difference. After a few years, they converted this building, and it was amazing because God gave them this building section by section. There was four sections to this building, two upstairs sections, two downstairs sections, and section by section, God gave it to us. As we were faithful in the small, God doubled us, and then we were faithful in that, and God uh, gave us another section, and we were faithful in that, and God gave us another section. And all throughout the, the, the history of this church, we've seen God be good to us. Amen? We put as much as we could into this building, and they still did not despise a day of small beginnings. You know what it is to walk into a building that looks like garbage and to see what God can do with it? You know how hard it is to see, go into a building that looks decrepit, looks just messed up, falling apart, and to see, hey, I think God can use this place. Never despise the day of small beginnings. You know, I began on the worship team when I was 11 years old. 11 years old, and I started playing the piano, and I was with just a couple of people, a couple of teenagers, and we were the worship team back then. 11 years old, playing this piano. I fell in love with music. I fell in love with the things of God at a very young age. And it didn't mean that I was perfect, because I was still a bad little kid. Oh, but I loved me some Jesus. I loved the Lord. I couldn't even sin right. That was me. I was the snitch. I was the one who was going to go. I was the one who was going to tell. Don't do bad things with me. I will snitch you out. Don't break the law with me. If it's you or me, it's going to be you. I couldn't survive in jail. I'm a snitch. I'm for the Holy Spirit. Once I did something wrong, I just, I don't, I got to tell mom about this. Ruben's like, no, we don't tell. I got to tell mom this is wrong. And, and, and they knew, but I loved the Lord. And so, and, and so we had a heart for the house, even at a young age. Most of the people you see running the church, as far as my, my sibling or, or, or my cousins and different band members, we've been here for a long time. We were the Sunday school before. That's why we put so much emphasis into our children's ministry, because we know the importance of raising up God. I spoke about last week. And so around 1999 or the year 2000, I don't really remember exactly, the unthinkable happened where we got a letter from the city of Bridgeport, and they said that we're going to take our property due to eminent domain. And for those of you who don't know what eminent domain is, it's the city decides that what they're going to do with the property is better than what you're doing, and they could just take it. We had put years into that building, and in an instant, Everything would be taken from us. I remember distinctly remembering we locked up some things, and we, we lost everything in just a moment. When I say everything, what I mean is that, is that when the city came in, they put the whole building on lockdown. All our stuff was stuck inside. Our, our little $200 piano was stuck inside. Our speakers were stuck inside. I was about... Seven, I'm 27 now, so I was about, man, about 13, 14 years old. 13 or 14 years old, and our church building was gone. My little piano was gone. And I remember we locked up the building as best we could to keep the city out because we were going to try and file court papers and do all this stuff. And I remember hearing that we had lost the building. And, and I remember seeing my father cry. And I remember seeing my parents just broken before the Lord like, God, what do we do now? I remember having to go back to church in the house, 610 Colorado Avenue. I remember losing most of our members because sometimes when tragedy strikes, you find out who's really with you. You find out who's really there. When the times get tough, I'm telling you, church, you find out who has your back, who doesn't. You find out who has faith and who does not. And we probably went down to about, I don't know, Pastor Carmen, seven, eight people again, including kids, maybe 12. We had a big kids ministry back then, you know, five kids. We were just rocking it, you know. And that's if we wanted to come downstairs for Sunday school. Because I would just stay in bed. But I didn't have that choice. I had to play the piano. And I remember playing the piano here. My couch is right there. And at this phase of my life, I was angry at God. 
I was angry at God that we had put so much into what we were doing and still lost everything. I remember this time in my life distinctly because I wanted God to do more for our church. You can't imagine how bad things looked. You can't imagine how in the eyes of man it looked hopeless. We were stuck in that house church for two to three more years until we found Howard Avenue. And again, they walked into that building and it looked like dirt. I remember going into that building with my dad. And I was like, Dad, don't get this building. It's going to be too much work. This is a bad idea. I was like the devil in there. This is a bad idea. Don't do this. Don't trust God for this. This is stupid. This is a bad idea. Dad, he had this, like, vision type of thing. He was able to see what God could do with nothing. And he, he went into Howard Ave building we have over there in 857 that we now currently own. And he, he, he went in there and he started renovating and doing what he had to do. And, and the church moved there. And we, we, we had about, I don't know, maybe 20 members at this time. And we, we, we had, it took us three years to finish that building. That's how few people we had. That's the point I'm getting at there. It took us three years to finish that building inside out. We never despise a day of small beginnings. You know, in Howard Avenue, these two speakers in front were our entire sound system. A 20-year-old mixer and these two speakers. I remember that clear as day. And when I bought these two speakers, I was like, we're on top of the world. Dad, we don't need nothing else. This is it. (laughs) This will do. 200 watts, perfect, Dad. This is great. I remember going to Sam Ash and buying these with a guy named Pascal. This is, Dad, this is excellent. Until we blew them three weeks later or something like that, and Dad, this isn't going to work. But we didn't despise small beginnings. Every, every little thing was a win for us, amen? I would get excited over, over little things. And, and, and we had about 140 chairs in that old church, all of them mismatching, all of them looking crazy. Somebody said, he's going somewhere. All of them, that place looked crazy for chairs. We had like, it was like Frankenstein chairs. Everything was different. And dad, he would preach. And he wouldn't just preach. He would stand there believing God. What you have to understand is over the course of all these years, we had been prophesied. We had been seeing, you know, great men of God had come in. Not these people who just prophesy for everything, come for an offering. I'm not talking about them. I'm not talking about them folks who come prophesy and tell you who you're going to marry. I'm not talking about that stuff. And then he go marry somebody else and your heart broke and you don't know what to do. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about legit men of God, amen, who would come in and say, God has a purpose for you, Pastor Felix, a purpose for your church. God's going to use you. I mean, I've told you before, David Wilkerson prophesied over my father, and he's a great man of God. I'm telling you, we had prophecies before the Lord. We had the promise of God over our church. When we lost the building, I'm thinking, well, all these promises of God had. We would sit there with about 140 mismatched, crazy-looking chairs, and, and Dad would sit there and he would preach, and Dad would preach to empty seats. You don't understand what I'm saying. We had two sections of seats. People sat here, nobody sat there, and through the service, my father would not just preach here, he would preach here to empty seats. He would preach to empty seats, and sometimes he would stand at the seats, and he would wave at them, and he would believe God that they would be filled, and he would preach to them, and he would say, I know you're coming, I know the souls are coming, I know you're coming. He never gave up on God. He never for one second said, this isn't going to be a good idea. He pressed forward, he pushed forward. When all hope seemed lost, he pressed into God, not out of God. Everything seemed to be going as bad as it could go. But he really legit believed God that he was not a liar. Is anybody hearing this today? He believed God. I'll tell you, church, God is desperate to be believed. God is desperate to find people who would trust him. God is desperate to find people who, no matter how it looks, that they're going to trust God. They're going to believe God. 
That no matter how bad your situation looks, you're not going to pansy out when the things get tough, but you're going to press forward and say, God, I know that you are not a liar. I know that you have my best interest at heart. He would reached a point in his life where he had gone too far to turn back now. He had gone too far to give up on God. He had done too much to say, I'm going to throw in the towel. Is anybody at the point in your life where you've gone too far to turn back on God now and God's done too much for you to say, this is a bad idea? I'm talking about you really know that God has called you, that God has a purpose for you, that God has a desire for your life, but all hell has broken loose in your life and everything seems contrary to what God has said. And you're at a point in your life where you got to say, I'm going to believe God or I'm going to believe the devil. I'm going to believe my circumstance or I'm going to believe my God. Which one is it? I read this scripture in Hebrews. I love this scripture, man. Although the beginnings were small, dad refused to give up on God. And I I read this scripture and I think often of him. It's in Hebrews 10 39. The apostle Paul, he's writing and he says this, but we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed. We belong to those who have faith and are saved. We don't belong to those who shrink back. We don't belong to those who quit. We don't belong to those who give up. We don't belong to those who on Monday have lost faith because Sunday night was bad, but Sunday morning you were shouting to God. We don't belong to those who lose faith when you lose a job, when you lose a car, when you lose a thing in your life. We don't lose faith when you lose things of this world. We don't belong to them. We belong to those who have faith and are saved. This phrase, to shrink back, is a nautical term. I've told you before, it's a nautical term, and it means to change the the, the shifting of your sails so that your boat would head in a different direction. We are not of those who shrink back, but we are of those who believe God and have faith. Maybe you don't understand what dad was waiting for. Maybe you don't understand the prophecy that he was waiting for. Maybe you don't understand fully, you can't yet grasp everything that I'm trying to tell you, what dad was waiting for, what he was waving at, what he was spending his life building for, I'm looking at right now. He was waiting for you. He was waving at you. You are not just a person in a ministry, in a church. You are a promise fulfilled to the church of Jesus Christ. You are a promise to the body of Christ. And I would challenge you that if God had someone wait 23 years for you and preach to empty chairs for you and preach to to empty churches for you and he would do all these things and build the ministry and not give up because he knew you were coming, I would dare challenge you, you have a purpose here not just to occupy a seat. I would challenge you, God's not called you to be a wisdom tooth in the body of Christ that you could take out and pluck out because we don't really need that wisdom tooth. That's not what God's called us to be. He's called us to be active, physical members of one body and have a heart for the house. For what God's doing in the midst of the church. There were days where I would go into dad's room late at night and he would be praying on his knees. And there would be nights where he would pray all night. And my mother and my father had a prayer room in the house that we had on Colorado Avenue. They had a special room just for prayer. I think that's why I didn't like prayer at first. Because me and my brother had to share a room because there was a prayer room. We had enough bedrooms, but there was a prayer room. So that prayer room was taking away my bedroom. And so me and prayer didn't get along. That's a good reason, right? That's horrible. That's horrible. Amen. He would trust God. He lost the building. He trusted God. Lost much of his belongings in the building trusted God. He did not despise a day of small beginnings. In the scripture I read in Zechariah, there's a man named Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel is rebuilding Solomon's temple. He's rebuilding Solomon's temple, and Solomon's temple was a temple to behold. It was one of the greatest temples. It was like full of gold. It was greatly ornate. It was amazing. It had silver in it. It had the best kinds of wood. It had the best of everything, but it had been destroyed. It had been lost. Armies had come in, trampled over Jerusalem. They had stolen everything in the temple. They burned it down. 
And now Zerubbabel is building this temple and it doesn't look the same like the other one. It doesn't look as big. It doesn't look as great. Howard I was not as big. It doesn't look as big right now. It doesn't look as great as what it was. And the people opposed him building because it wasn't as big as the old one. It wasn't as great as the old one. And the Bible says the Lord spoke to the prophet Zechariah and he said, who would despise a day of small beginning?" Maybe you might not like what God's doing in your life. You may think, God, I need something bigger. God, I need something better. I would challenge you today, don't despise a day of small beginnings. I would challenge you that God has a purpose even in the small things. The the prophet Zechariah came and he prophesied this over Zerubbabel and he encouraged him and he told the people, listen, he has God's favor. He's building with God's blessing. Don't Oppose them for whom would despise a day of small beginnings. Can I tell you something, church? Every facet of your life, you should not despise small beginnings. Even a great building these days is built by first breaking ground with a single shovel. Every foundation that is laid is started at one corner with one stone, then the rest of the concrete is poured in. Everything starts, every great journey, as we know, starts with one small step. You have got to put one foot in front of the other before you start doing anything amazing. Tell your neighbor, don't despise small beginnings. I would challenge you not to reject the small things that God can do for your life. Don't overlook the small things because in the small areas, God's trying to build a great foundation for you. Don't reject the small car that you have. It's not worth much, but it's what God gave you. Don't despise the small job you have. Don't despise the small race. Don't despise short people. God can use them. That wasn't a good enough amen for that. I'm just saying... I'm just saying, you don't understand what God has in store for you. And because you despise the small, because you reject the small, and some people want to look at the big, oh, that's better. This is greater for me. But no, God says, start small. Because if you can't handle $100, how are you going to handle $100,000? All these young people these days ain't even paying rent and can't handle their money when they get a little job. I remember when I was, my father was still around, I was, he asked me to give him 50 bucks a week and I couldn't even do it. I was making $45,000 a year, couldn't give him $50 a week. Had no bills except my cell phone bill. He said, give me 50 bucks a week. I can't do that. That's too much. But the moment my father passed away, you know what happened? I had to give six to 700 a week. I mean a month, excuse me, with no problem. Because when circumstances change, I learn to appreciate the small. I want to drive this home, this point home to you today. You can't despise small beginnings. What God has for you is going to start small. If you're waiting for something big to come slap you in the face, you're going to wait for the rest of your life. It's the small things. Parents, it's the small scriptures at night you read to your children that set a heart of God. It's the small times of prayer before a meal that they learn they have to honor God before everything they do. It's the small things you do. It's the small things you do. It's the life lessons you teach them. It's the small things that we do that God builds our lives upon. Dad learned to have faith when everything was looking hopeless, and that's something I haven't mastered yet. He was on a God journey. He, he was on a God journey like, Abraham, get thee out of your father's house and go to a land that I will show you. Dad didn't exactly know where he was going or what God was going to do, but he knew that God was going to do it and that God would show up and meet him where he told him to go. He was on a God journey. And someone here today, you might be about to give up. You might feel like Christianity is not for you. You might feel like God is not moving your life. And things are just so horrible and so bad and so this or so that. But I want to challenge you today. Do not give up on the small things that God has on your life. Because when you have small things, you have small problems. When you have big things, you get big problems. The smaller your rent, the easier it is to pay. The higher your rent, the harder it is to pay. Somebody knows what I'm talking about. You get that new car you can't afford, the harder it is to pay. But you get yourself a hoop to go from point A to point B. I'm just saying. 
the easier it is. You should not despise the small beginnings. And I want to press this home that someone would really leave here with a new resounding faith that says, you know, things may not be where I want to be, but I got to trust God that he's called me for a purpose and he's called me for a reason and that he wants to do something greater through me. In this room, there are some whose faith flourishes and others whose faith dies. You're planted into the same dirt, but the difference is the nutrients you allow yourself to take in. How is it some people are living and some people are dying in the same room? It's not the dirt. It's the roots. How deep are your roots in what God is trying to do in your life? Do you have a heart for what God's desire is for your life? Do you realize that your job as a believer is to stand against adversity and to let God fight your battles, to let God help you beyond the hurt, beyond the pain, beyond what you're feeling? You let God guide you, not your emotions, not your hurts, not your feelings. Let God guide you. Do you realize that? In the worst of times, God should be guiding you. Galatians 6, 9. Many of you have heard it a thousand times. It never seems to take root in people. It says, don't grow weary in well-doing. For in due season, you will reap a harvest if you faint not. If you faint not. If you don't give up. If you don't give up, you will reap a harvest. You will reap a harvest if you choose as a believer to not always give up. I believe so many of us today, the reason we don't have the blessings that we desire from God is we stop and start. Stop and start. And by the time we're about to harvest, we go off and sin because we got mad at God or mad at our lives and we find ourselves back at square one time again. God's a God of seasons. If you, if you sow, you're going to reap. God desires to do something big in your life. It's not what it looks like. Tell your neighbor, it's not what it looks like. It may look bad, but it's not bad because God's involved. It may look hopeless, and my dad taught me this, but it's not hopeless when God's involved. It may look bad, but when God is involved, it does not look bad. I know someone's sitting here saying to themselves how bad things look at their home or how bad things are in your finances. And and maybe your finances are bad. Maybe your marriage is bad. Maybe your relationship is garbage. And maybe your home is a mess. And maybe your car is breaking down. But yet, does that dispute the greatness of God? Does that eliminate the goodness of God in your life because of the trials and tribulations of life? Does that negate the greatness of God? And and my father, when I look over his life, he was able to harness the goodness of God even in the bad times of life. And he said, you know what? No matter what I face, God is good. His favorite verse was, remember, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Whether a good day or a bad day. You know, know, even God made the bad days. He didn't make them bad, but that day that's bad for you, God still made it, which means it's still a good day. That's some good theology right there. I'm just saying. Even the bad days that God made are good. Remember, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in him. I was praying the other day, and I was just telling the Lord, you know, sometimes it doesn't look like what it is. And he said to me, listen, Lewis, if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck and waddles like a duck and swims like a duck and eats like a duck, it's a horse when God says it is. It may look like something else, but if God said it's a horse, it's a horse. It may look like red, but God said it's blue. I'm going to believe God that it's blue. And it may look like black, and God says that's green. I'm going to believe God that it's green. It may look hopeless in your life. It may look like you're never going to defeat this. You'll never get past this. You'll never move forward from it. But if you have that mindset, you never will. He said, if you faint not, you will reap a harvest. Somebody needs to open their phone, get that scripture out and highlight it, and maybe copy and paste it, print it out at your job and put it all over your household because you keep on losing faith. And God says, you know what? If you faint not, you're going to reap a harvest. Truth be told, most of us, we enter a bad situation, and then after we cussed and swore all we want and got mad about it, then we say, you know, God, I really need your help. Somebody know what I'm talking about? If we don't use our faith and our walk with God in the midst of tough times, what good is it? 
My father learned to live a life where it was not what it looked like. And though it looked bad, he understood that God had a distinct purpose for his life. And, 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 and you know what? I have to understand that as a kid, I could not comprehend that. I could not. I would say, Dad, why are you still doing this? Dad, why are we still going to church? This is horrible. We're losing the house. The cars are getting repossessed. All types of garbage in our lives. We would, we would never have enough food in the house. Sometimes our light was off. And sometimes we had no heat in the house. And it was bad. I, I've lived 23 years as a pastor's son. And I've lived five years now as a pastor. And let me tell you, being in ministry sucks. I'm I'm really serious about that. It's toilsome. It's hard. It's not easy. My greatest prayer now as a pastor is, God, when my child comes, let it not be what my father went through with me. But dad understood some things that I could not understand. It's not what it looks like. Somebody needs to speak that over your life. It's not what it looks like. It looks horrible. But even in the midst of horrible circumstances, the greatness of God still endures. And we were in our building at 857 Howard Avenue, and we were growing a little bit, about 20 to 30 people, maybe about 40 on some Sundays. We were, we, we were on top of the world. We had added a subwoofer to our sound system, so it was three speakers, and that was it. I was done. I had a nice keyboard that I liked. It was great. You know, I, I tricked my father twice with keyboards. The first keyboard I had was about a $200 keyboard, and one day I got mad about a situation when my grandmother passed away. I was mad at God, and so I took that keyboard and I smashed it the day before Sunday. You know, I was like on a Wednesday night. I smashed his piano. And it wasn't even my piano. It was the church's piano, but I smashed it because I was upset at God. And so my dad talked to me, and, and he, he went to Sam Ash, and we went to go buy a piano, and he said, which one do you want? And I pointed at a $4,000 piano. I said, I want that one. He looked at me like I was crazy, and then he walked out with it. And uh, that was the day I knew my dad loved me for sure, but this is it. I mean, I couldn't even get a bag of chips sometimes. He gave me a $4,000 piano. Woo! Daddy loves me. And then uh, one day that piano broke. I didn't smash that one. It was too heavy to smash, and and the keys were messed up. And so I told my father it would be cheaper to buy a new one, which turned out not to be true. It was 50 bucks to fix that one. And I went out and bought another $4,000 keyboard. <laughs> and uh, this is no lie. I kid you not. And so um, that one's right there, that, that, that one right there. And so I bought that one. And, and, and we were adding stuff to our church is what I'm trying to tell you. We were in a place where we weren't growing. We were in a huge church. It was no by any stretch of the imagination. And on February 14, 2008, as many of you know, my, my father passed away. You know, let me, let me clear this up for people. You know, some people always ask you, are, are you mad that your dad died? And the answer is no. I'm not mad at God for that. That'd be foolish of me to be mad at God for anything. At the moment, what I was mad at is the way he died, which was on the side of a street parked in his car. I didn't like that. I said, God, we deserve better than that. Your people deserve better than that. And, and when my father passed away for the first couple of months, I really thought to myself, you know, all the promises of God had passed away with my father, and I had to start over. But as I began reading Scripture, I see, and, and, and I see all throughout Scripture this pattern where that's not what it was. My emotions were, were, were telling me that this was bad and that, that this was not God, but my heart told me that God had a purpose. Anybody ever believe that God has a purpose for you? I mean, I mean, like a real deep-seated pers- purpose. I remember sitting with my father at about 2 o'clock in the morning one day, and God had always placed this thing in my life. God had always placed this thing in my heart, and he told me this. He said, you're a key. Since I was a little boy, I, I promise you, God instilled this in my heart that I was a key to something, like a physical, legit key, not like, you know, just a, a, a proverbial, like a key. And I was like, you know, Lord, that's just crazy. And one day I told my dad, is this wrong of me to feel this way? And dad said, no, I believe that God has a strong purpose over your life. And I took that word and I just, I just ran with it, amen? And I saw that, that, I said, God, I don't understand why all this has to happen. For a moment, it felt like, God was wrong. Have you ever felt like God's wrong? Like, God, what are you doing? Like, God, this is a horrible idea. This is a mistake. What are you doing? A few weeks ago, someone texted me a a message with a scripture in it. 
It was Hebrews eleven thirteen. 13. He, he texted to me in the Message Bible, and he said, Hey, Pastor, every time I read the scripture, I think of your dad. And let me read it to you real quick, and I want to go forth here. Hebrews eleven thirteen 13 is a history of, of many people in the Bible. It's a, called the, the Hall of Fame of Faith, for, for lack of a better term. It's like the champions of faith are in Hebrews 11. And the Apostle Paul, he's talking about the greatness between the covenant of grace and the covenant of the law and how Jesus is supreme. He's, it's the supremacy of Christ in, in the book of Hebrews. And here he's talking about these great men of faith, and he says this about them all in verse 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not, somebody say not, receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. In the, in the message Bible, it says they waved at them from a distance. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. And if they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had an opportunity to return. But instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. And therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. I took that personally. I know it's talking about the new Jerusalem, but God spoke to me and said, I have prepared a city for you. I have prepared a city over your life. I've called you to make a change for an entire city. I tell this all the time. God's not, the reason why my burden is so big is because I don't pastor the church. I try to pastor the city. God has called me to change an entire city. God has burdened me with a city, not a church. A church is too small. God is calling me to change an entire city. That's the burden God has placed over my heart. And I said to God when dad died, does that mean I got to start over? All the promises are gone. But when you look over scripture and God spoke to Adam, and when God speaks to Adam, God speaks to all mankind. Because inside of Adam is the seed of all mankind. Out of Adam came Eve. And when God spoke to Adam, that means he also spoke to Eve. When God spoke to Eve and Adam, he also spoke to Abel and Seth and Cain and their daughters. And every time God spoke to David, he was speaking over Solomon and Absalom and Abinadab and all of his children. Because when God speaks to him, he speaks to everyone that came from his loins. When God spoke to my father, he was speaking to me. I want to talk to some parents right now who God has placed some promises over your life. And I'm going to tell you that some of those promises are not for you. And don't be so selfish as to give up on what God has promised you because it's not for you. And because you might not receive it. But to push forward because God says it's not just for you. It's for your whole family. It's for your household. God's not just promising for you. God's not a one-stop God. He is a generational God. God's not trying to flow to us, but through us. God doesn't want you to go to the cross, but to go through the cross. Some of us stop at the cross. We don't go into the grave with Jesus. We don't rise in the resurrection of Christ, living the new life, the new man, the new spirit of God in you. God has promises over your life and over your children's life and your grandchildren and you should be praying over your children over what God has spoken over your life. If you don't see it come to fruition, you should be praying it over your children. Are you with me today? Abraham never saw the promises of God. Isaac never saw the promise of God. Jacob never saw the promise of God. Joseph never saw the promise of God. Moses missed the promise of God. It was Joshua who would see it. But it doesn't make God a liar because you don't see what God's doing. Are you with me today? Some of you are facing tough times, maybe just in your heart, emotionally, mentally, of where God has you in your walk with him. Some of you feel stagnant, feel like a lack of growth, an apathetic heart. And God says, never despise a day of small beginnings. Get yourself together. Because there's work to do in this place. Is work to do for the kingdom of God. God's not called us to the cross to spectate. He's called us to the cross to die with him, to rise with him, to live for him, and to make a difference in the world that we live. Tell your neighbor, never despise a day of small beginnings. I realize now that God was speaking to my dad over me, 
over my siblings, over my family, over my children, over my brother's daughter, over my sister's daughter, over my sister's son. God was speaking over our entire family. And I realized now that I am fighting for much more than what I can see because I am fighting for the generational blessings of God. God is a generational blesser. God does not want a blessing to stop in one generation. God wants it to flow downhill and to flow from you to your children. And God wants it to flow from your children to their children to your great-grandchildren. And God wants it to keep on going. And I realized that what I am fighting for is not just for me it is for the next generation it is for the next child all those kids that are in Sunday school right now I'm fighting for them not just for you I'm on my knees in prayer for them I'm seeking God for them not just for the people that are here for the people that are coming in and I could not understand God why he would take my father at that time. I could not understand why it looked so bad. But I realized now it wasn't what it looked like. God had a bigger plan in place and God had a better purpose in mind. And God had a greater deed to do. And what I saw as failure, God saw as a new beginning. And what I saw as hopelessness, God saw as a rebirth. And great faith arose I remember on January 20th, 2008, we were doing praise and worship, and, and my father came up, and he be, was transitioning the service, and I was still playing the piano, and, and God began to speak through him, and he began to prophesy, and he prophesied to a number of people, and he spoke to me, and he said to me, son, God's going to open doors, and when he opens them, run, and God's going to close doors, and when he closes them, don't try to open it, and God's going to do things through you that nobody else can do, but God's going to use you if you would humble yourself before him, if you would let him use you, and you would listen and hearken unto his voice. It was that same sermon that he would say, he said in this sermon, he said this, what are you going to do when in the middle of February, all hell breaks loose in this church? February 14th, and no mathematicians here, is the middle of February. When all hell broke loose, I had a choice, what were we going to do? And I chose to follow God's plan because I ended up believing that God has a purpose this church God has a destiny for this church and I want to tell someone today this place is worth believing that God is going to do something greater not through me it's not going to come through me it's going to come through you it's going to come because of what you're going to do it's going to come because of what God has instilled in every single person here that's what makes this place so awesome is not me. It's not the worship team. It is you who have a heart for God, who serve God, who chase after God, who love God. Dad, he passed away believing God, trusting God, knowing that God had a plan. And we couldn't see it then, but God is doing something greater. Never, never as the founder of this church did he preach to a full building. Never did he have a good band playing behind him. Never did he preach to more than 70 people at a time. Never did he have hundreds of members. Never did he have property to own as a church. Never did he have any type of good equipment. Never did he have any of these things, but he had one thing. He had a promise from God that he would not relinquish, that he would not let go. And that promise from God, in part, is you sitting right here, right now, under the sound of my voice. It was you. And he believed God for greater things. He understood that God was bringing you in, and he had a church to prepare, and a church to build for you. And it looked bad, but it wasn't. Yes, he was dirt poor, but he was rich in spirit. Yes, we went through all types of hell, all types of adversity, but God was with us, and he saw the prize. And as the book of Philippians says, he forgot what was behind him, and he reached forward for the prize that Jesus had already obtained for him. Have you found that yet? Have you found the prize worth living for? Have you found the Jesus worth living for? Have you found the purpose worth dying for? You may be facing tough times. You may be facing faithless looking situations. But church, it's not what it looks like. It's not what it looks like in your life. I wish for one moment you could see with the eyes of God. My father was building this place in Howard Avenue I, I, on the back wall of the sanctuary altar. 
we put all of our petitions, and I, that day I couldn't make it, so I gave Dad a number of petitions to place on for me that God had placed in my heart. And what I'm about to say, I, I don't want people to take this the wrong way because I, I'm not impressed by numbers. But if I could explain to you, Aubrey Fun put it in a capacity that I could never put it in. He put it into a few words that, that kind of really sum up what God is trying to do through my life. And I want you to hear me out. God has called me. God has called me to do this one thing, to build the largest soul-saving effort Bridgeport has ever seen. That's why I'm here. After all the soul-searching, the praying, the crying before God, Lewis, why are you here? I'm not here for y'all. I'm sorry. I'm here to build the largest soul-saving effort. And when I say I'm not here for y'all, I'm not discounting you. I love you guys. I love every single one of you. You're the reason I do what I do. To see the lives transformed, to see what God has done in your life. And some pastors get so stuck with who's here, they forget who's coming. We get so stuck trying to build a church for people who are here that we forget that there's people coming that are more broken than the ones who are still here. That are just as broken. I don't know about you, but when I really came back to God, I was broken. Spiritually, emotionally, I needed God more than ever in my life. Amen. But I would challenge you as a church, don't get addicted to the struggle. Don't get, uh, uh, how do I, I, I'll put it like this to you. The same way we tell folks don't get addicted to state assistance because the state is there to help you get off your butt, get onto your feet. Amen. Don't get addicted to the attention you get while you're in the struggle. Because if you do, you're always going to be in the struggle. Because you want that extra prayer. You want that extra prayer meeting at your house. You want that extra this. Instead of ever standing up on your own two feet and saying, I am a son and a daughter of God. I've called for greatness and to do great things. And I have the power to cast out demons. And I got the authority in Jesus Christ. And I got the spirit of God. Don't get addicted to the hurt and the pain. People don't mature like that. What I was getting at is that God told me when I was about 17 years old, when we put these petitions on the wall, I wrote all my petitions and pretty much all of them, I, I remember most of them, I kid you not, pretty much all of them are fulfilled except for one. And it was the number of people God told me this church would have. That number, it numbers in the thousands, and I'm not saying that to brag, I don't want people to be uh, uh, moved by a number, I'm moved at the fact that God is calling me to build a church so strong in Bridgeport that we can affect local politics, that we can affect our communities, that we can affect what we're doing, we can affect taxes, we can affect the school system and the mess in the BOE, that we can affect that our children have the right education, that the church should have the authority. Most folks don't know the last mayor was put into office with less than 6,000 votes because no one in Bridgeport voted. It's time the church stood up and raised the alarm. The quickest way to change a city is to pray for it, I'm telling you. If you would just seek after God. God has deposited my life and I ask God, God, why did you make me God? Why did you fashion me? Why can't I get over this burden that I have for Bridgeport? And he told me as clear as day, once Aubrey said it, it clicked in my spirit. You were called to do the largest soul-saving effort this city has ever seen. And that's not going to come through me. It's going to come through you. It's not the people that I go out there and drag in. It's the people that you show your life of Christ for. And they're so moved by the greatness of God in your life, they come in after you. Our church is headed in places that I don't know, that are uncharted for us. 29 years and God has not let me down and not let my father down. I guarantee you, he won't start now. The Bible says that all who put their hope in him are never put to shame. And I know sometimes it's hard to believe everything that God is doing is really going to happen. But one day, you're going to look back and see that God really did all that he said he was going to do in your life. And what are you going to do then? Except praise God for what he's doing. Would you bow your heads with me right now? Before I have you stand and just bow your heads. And 
And just even think over your own life of how many people in your family need God. How many folks in your community, maybe you're not from Bridgeport. Man, our influence here, it's over. We, we have families as far from Waterbury and then we have Hamden people here. And we have, you know, a couple families from Shelton and we have a person from Beacon Falls and we have people from all over. We're not just a Bridgeport church, but let me tell you something. How is God going to move through you? Come on, with every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here for God, don't look around. You're here for God right now. That's it. Doesn't matter what anybody's doing. You know, God really wanted me to say a prayer for people whose faith is lacking today. See, the problem is this, is if you can't believe that God can take care of your finances, how can you possibly believe to change a whole city through you? Faith is failing. And God says he wants strength to rise in you. Come on, just keep your heads bowed. And I want you to survey your life and say, God, do I have the faith? Do I believe enough? Have I lost sight of the vision as to why I'm here? Sometimes I know even myself included, man, life can get so tough and life can be so difficult and life can get to the point where you just want to quit and throw in the towel. Let me tell you, son, sometimes I want to give up on God too. And that may sound crazy, but listen, any pastor who says otherwise, he's a liar. Sometimes this burden is just too much to carry. But someone's faith here is failing. Situation looks too drastic to get past. When you thought things would get better, it only got worse. There's a scripture in the book of Exodus that it says this, come on, you're still eyes closed, you're still meditating on the Lord, and it says this, that the people of Israel could not hearken unto the voice of Moses because of brokenness and anguish of spirit. Moses had come to Israel with the word of the Lord and he said, listen, God said he's going to free you. And at first, everyone got excited. Everyone was like, yes, yes, this is awesome. And then their workload got harder. Pharaoh got mad and he punished them even more. And things in their life got worse before it got better. And they had anguish of spirit. And Moses had performed many miracles and done many great things. But because of the hardship of their life, they could not see the vision of freedom that God had for them because of what was happening in their homes and in their circumstances. They could not see that God had greater right ahead of them. I feel the Lord here right now and he's saying this to me. He's saying the same road that they left out of Goshen. Goshen was the place of slavery. The same road they left to leave Goshen is the same road they use to go to slavery every day. In some of the same circumstances you're facing right now, God says, I'm going to use the same problem the same road you're on right now that you call hell God says I'm going to use that road to take you into a place of provision if you would faint not if you would not give up and I believe so many people here some of you your faith is failing our faith is failing Bible says that faith cometh by hearing the word and as I was preparing for this the Lord said man there's such a, a generation of Christians who don't want to seek me right now don't want to spend that time in prayer don't want to spend that time in the word life's about play dates and life's about just doing this and doing that and ain't nothing wrong with having some fun but man I'll tell you that Jesus Christ is the more, most important thing in this world you know why he's the most important thing? Because in the next world, he's everything. There's some people here, you've been trying to do things under your own strength, without the Holy Spirit, without the guidance of Jesus Christ. You think you have it all together. You think you've done a great job. And God says, listen, my word says in Colossians chapter 1, that all things remain through Jesus and by Jesus and in Jesus. He holds all things together. It is not you holding your life together. It is not your ingenuity. It is not your job or your finances. If your trust is in that, you are going to fail. And God says, how can you believe that you have a destiny if you can't believe that I can cover you at home? If I can cover you with your family, if I can cover your marriage, if I can cover your child, how can you believe me for greater things if the small things we don't believe. Now, in the next moment, I'm going to ask you to be honest with yourself. 
because I don't have time in this church and I'll be honest with you it may sound harsh I don't have time to waste anymore God's telling me to get a move if you need prayer for your faith I want you to stand up if you're saying God I need to trust you more God my heart isn't right the way it should be I'm not believing the way I should Maybe you're sitting down and you're saying, you know what, I need a better heart for the house. I need to move forward in my relationship with God and believe in the overall vision of God for this church. I need to get it going. Maybe you're sitting there and you haven't made a decision for Jesus Christ and now's your time and now's the moment because God can do it in your life and God can press restart and God can press reset and make all things new and some of you are facing tough things, tough situations, but let me tell you, in the presence of God, nothing is wasted. Faith will not fail you for all who put their hope in Jesus Christ are never put to shame. never be put to shame come on your head still bowed I want to ask you one last thing if that's you today you stood up and you want to make that maybe you're still sitting down and you know you need to take that step of faith man the Bible says this that all those who put their hope in him I love this scripture that they are never put to shame do you want to live a shameless life man that no one could ever try to shame you and the truth no lies about you would ever work some people here you need to put your hope in God I don't care if you're an usher I don't care if you're a leader a sound guy I want you to stop working right now forget that this is more important right now what God is doing in the midst of us right now it's more important that God would give you a heart for the house a heart we're not called to occupy seats we're called to occupy a city you're not called just to just to get to heaven. You're called to get to heaven with your whole family, cousins, uncles, all of them, Tito, Pookie, whoever their name is, whatever. God wants all of them. Come on, if that's you today, you never want to be put to shame. Take a step of faith right now. Meet me at this altar. Come on. Come on. If you stood up, just come on out. All those who put their hope in him are never put to shame. We are part of a greater promise to this church. You know, I believe that in the next 12 months, what God can do is greater than the last 29 years. If enough people would say, I am a believer in the vision. I am a purpose-driven Christian. I know that God is with me. I don't want my hope to be put to shame. And if you're sitting in your seat, please don't feel bad. It's, it's fine. I don't want you to come because others are coming. I want you to come because our hearts are moved and we believe that God is and God will do. Come on, press in, press in, press in. God has such a purpose for every single one of you. And some people come in and you can fit right into that purpose and others come in and and you have to find that purpose. and, And if you're still searching for that purpose, I'm telling you right now, it is here at the foot of Jesus. But God will not reveal destiny to individuals until we surrender our lives to him. God wants to reveal to you what he has for you and all that he desires to do with you. But we have to reject our old life. Come on, if you're standing at this altar, would you just lift your hands? I'm going to say a prayer and then I'm going to ask the ministers to go around and just pray for every single person here. Don't leave until someone's laid hands on you. The Bible says that touch and agree. If your faith is failing, I'm telling you today that if you hang on, Jesus would never put you to shame. Hey, Mike, Melissa, could you guys come help us pray? Lord, give us faith in this place. 
God, show us that nothing in our lives is wasted. Even right now, the brokenness, the hard times, Lord, they will be pivotal in our lives to come. Lord, I pray right now over the prophetic destiny of our church. Lord, I know it, you've called us for a great purpose, Lord. I pray right now, Lord, that as we pray over every single person, not just for their personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but leaders, I want you to pray right now, a heart for the house, that we would begin to believe that God is moving and that God will do greater things for us. Greater things are on the horizon for you. If you would surrender, if you would let God move in your life, dear Heavenly Father, we plead right now that God, this church has been through all types of adversity. But Lord, the promise is here. It is now. We see you're moving. We know that you have a desire for us and a purpose for us. God, would you begin to reveal it even more? Touch every heart, God. God, let faith not fail in this place, God. Let it rise up like a river. For your word says that when the enemy comes in like a flood, that the Lord will raise up a standard. Let the standard be raised today, Father God. Let your heart be shown over us, God. Let it be revealed to us, God, in Jesus' mighty name. Lord, those who are failing in their faith and they might have situations at home, finances, God, or family, or marital, emotional, depression, God. I come against the works of the enemy right now. I come against those, God, that mindset of the enemy who says, it's okay to give up. I'm ready to give up. It's okay. I rebuke it in the name of Jesus. God, we declare that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. And God, as we go forward, that we shall see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Come on, just pray to him right now. Come on, lift up your voices to him as you're waiting there. Make your peace. Say, God, God, I'm failing in my faith because whatever your situation is, I dare you, church, to call it out. I dare you to say, you know what? I've not given my best. I've not done what I'm supposed to do. But yet there are those who came before me and some who are still here who paid such a price for me to stand at this altar. People paid such a price. God, that I would not forget those who have come before me and laid down the foundation in this place, God. Lord, our faith is failing us, God. Let it rise in this place, God, that nothing is wasted in this place, God.